Thank you so much for being here. We are going to be back this morning. Uh, we're going to jump back into Titus. Um, this is an exciting book that we're going to be in uh, for a couple more weeks. And last week we opened up with some really, really key information. Um, and, and that information really anchored us into um, where we're going to jump into now um, from, from that point into this letter. If you remember, this letter was written, inspired by God. We believe that all of the Bible is inspired by God. It was written by Paul, phenomenal missionary with the gospel to all people. He was inspired by, to Paul to write to a young man named Titus. Titus um, was a young Christian leader. He was more of a church planner. That's, that's the position he was in. He was in this island called Crete in the Mediterranean. This place was off the hook. It was Las Vegas in the Mediterranean in their day. This place was driven by passions. And when passions drive us, oftentimes we don't always end up in the best places. Um, there, there are historical writings that talked about people that literally would just, you know, at the point at which they just started consuming alcohol, just would go through huge, incredible long periods where they just would never step away from it. They would just stay in a state of just drunkenness forever and ever and ever, it seemed. Um, they, were, they were really known to be just horrific and habitual liars. Um, this wasn't just said about them. This was said by their own people. Um, Paul, in fact, in chapter 1, quotes a prophet from centuries before them that said, these Cretans, and we even call Cretans, we call people Cretans now as an overflow of this. He said, they're just liars and just consumed with themselves and just empty in everything that they say. So this is the culture that he's, doing church in. And for the people that had responded to Jesus, responded to the gospel, two primary groups emerged. One group was called Jesus Plus. That's what I call it anyway. It's, it's the people that would, that would absorb and, and appreciate the grace of Jesus, but they wanted to really build this list of to-dos that you had to do or things that you should not do that would further qualify you and justify you as a child of God. They said that, yes, it's Jesus, but we have responsibility. The danger of that is, is that, that pride comes in and says, you know what, yes, Jesus saved me, but it's really up to me and my goodness to really belong to God. The other group, who was just as dangerous, they were not Jesus plus, they were kind of like Jesus and whatever. They, they were, yes, saved by grace of Jesus Christ, but you know what, as long as God loves me and I'm saved, then really, I mean, like, that seals the deal, right? I'm saved forever. To which somebody may respond, well, yes, when you've committed your heart to Christ, you belong to God, and, and that's, that's eternal. Okay, well, awesome. Well, if I, be, I belong to God for eternity, then I've got some years I can really go have some fun with. You know, it'll just all be okay in the end. And both of these were really dangerous groups of people to be in and be a part of. Because what we can really look at, especially since we're looking at it from the outside, is we can say, hey, no, you are saved by grace alone. You can try to do good works, but it is grace alone you're saved. Now, Titus also gets around to this, the, the, the book of Titus also gets around to this, that, that, that if we're really saved, then good works will come from us. God does call us to that. That will be the overflow of how we live our lives. But it doesn't add to the fact that Jesus' grace is enough to save us. And as we look at the other side, we, again, are called out to Yes, I'm saved by Jesus' grace. Yes, I'm redeemed by His grace. It's awesome. It's unfathomable. What can I do for Him? What can I live for for Him? So as we're in this book of Titus today, I just want to kind of let you know how we're going to go through this part of it. Um, chapters and 
English words are all translation methods. So sometimes when you're in a letter like this, you acknowledge chapter numbers because it helps you organize things. But we're going to be stepping across two different ones. We're going to go back and, and talk about a couple things we didn't hit last week at the end of chapter 1. Then we're going to go into chapter 2, but we're not going to just start with verse 1. We're actually going to go a little bit beyond it because verse 1 starts with about a 10-verse section that talks to us about what we need to do in our lives as Christians, some of those things. But then Paul, after that, really explains why. I'd like to first start with why. I don't know about you, but when somebody comes into my life and says, hey, you need to do this or you need to stop doing this, many times I build a wall of defense because what I hear initially is, is confrontation. I hear that you don't like me. I hear that you don't approve, and I want to resist that. But if, I, if, I'm, if I'm hearing why first and I hear that there's purpose in it, then what I listen to tends to be so much more, Okay. So we're going we're gonna to go about that this way. So in chapter 1, uh, we're going to start actually down in uh, verse 10. See, there were, there were two different things happening here. Because you had two different groups, you had this, this divide where Titus is going to hear from Paul about false teaching, but then true teaching, false doctrine, true doctrine. Uh, you, you could say lies and the truth. And he, he calls out the people that were teaching false doctrine. They were teaching um, things that were pulling people away from, from God, away from their life in the gospel. And, and there was three primary ways they were doing that. Now, when we think about teachers, many times we just think about the person that's at the front of the classroom, the person that's up on stage. Teaching is anyone that takes something they know, something they believe, something they think, and they pour it into and over the life of someone that they have influence over. A teaching moment could be in your small group that you do uh, within this church. It could be a friend that you have that has a lot of influence over your life. Um, they could be teaching you. It could just be a one-on-one -on -one format. It could be somebody that you listen to on a podcast. It could be coming from many different directions. But teaching is something that we're very familiar with. He calls these false teachers out and identifies them based on three things. In verse 10, it says, For, the, for there are many rebellious people full of empty talk and deception. They were rebellious. They, they were resisting and wanting to move away from the truth. See, rebellion is, is any step that we take in resistance to some truth. And I think for some of us, and, and, and myself included, many times we really need to stop and really in our minds because that's where the real battleground is going on. It's not in how I feel because how I feel comes from what I think. In my beliefs and in my knowledge and in my thoughts and my mind, it's important to understand that God's Word says that there is a truth. We talked about this last week. A truth that leads to godliness. Truth is not definable by what all of our opinions are because remember, if we believe in a creative God, He's higher than us. So what we come up with in the room in a roundtable discussion is never going to be as perfect and holy as what He says. So the Bible says there is a truth of God. So rebellion is, is even just one step. Like, I, I just, I don't like that. Um, it could be somebody that influences somebody else by just saying this. You know what? Like that walk with Jesus, that Christian thing, that whatever, that's okay. I mean, generally it's pretty good. Do good for good people. Do okay for bad people. But, you know, you really could, you really could live like this and be happy. You have the right to do this. That's rebellion. What God's Word wants to anchor us to is the truth. He says they were rebellious. They were full of empty talk. Do you know people that just, like, they just run their mouth? You'll listen to them, and 30 minutes later, you're like, holy cow, you said nothing. Like, I've wasted 30 minutes of my life. Some of you give me that look on Sunday morning, and I'm honestly okay with it. But, like, we, we know people, we hear them talk, and it's, 
It's like there's, there's nothing that you said. You've absolutely wasted my time. That's, that's the content that's missing from people who are denying the power of the gospel and who God says that we are. He says that there's empty talk. Then he says that they're full of deception. They're deceiving people. There's a lot of, there's a lot of situations in life, especially when we're in moments of hurt, well, we have to be careful about the influence that somebody else has in our lives. I want to use this for an example. Um, many times, especially when relationships are broken, um, whether that's marriage, whether that's before marriage, whatever that is, um, that, this can even be within family members. When, when relationships are broken, many times as we are grieving to someone and we're pouring our heart out over our hurt and, and we're angry, there'll be many people in our lives who will be just a little bit rebellious, a little bit deceptive, a little bit empty talk, not because they are horrible people. They genuinely probably do love us, but, but here's where we start to hear that they're not really fully grounded in the gospel. They're not the person that we need to have an anchor point in. They say something like this, you know what, you deserve to be happy. That's a dangerous, that's a dangerous line. I'm not saying I'm not for happiness, but I want you to think through this with me. When we use the word deserve, we're then taking ourselves and our pride and saying, I'm at the top. Because honestly, I am a sinful, horrible human being. I don't deserve Jesus' grace. Grace, I don't, I don't deserve my wife's love. I don't deserve my kids to look up to me. I don't deserve to pastor a church. If we're going off a of deserve, I don't deserve those things. God in His grace wants to give me joy as I know Him. So when someone says, I want happiness for you, they should also be walking with you closer to Christ. That's what the gospel wants to pour out to us. See, throughout this passage, Paul is anchoring him into this idea that we're getting ready to dive into, that, that as a Christian, as somebody that has gained some experience in life, Titus is going to have this responsibility to rebuke or correct and to encourage. It, just a few verses down, it, it says this. It says, the tes this testimony is true. For, the re for this reason, rebuke them sharply, so that they may be sound in the faith and may not pay attention to Jewish myths and the commands of people who reject the truth. See, Paul is very clear. He's like, Titus, listen, you're going to have to have hard conversations with people. And correcting someone is, is not something you should run from. Too many times we live Christian lives that, that I fear are going to be too indifferent to things that need to be corrected that ultimately one day we're going to stand and probably have a little bit of embarrassment maybe a lot of embarrassment when we stand before God in judgment. Because there's, there are specific relationships in my life that I could list out for you that I'd say, you know what, these specific individuals, I saw them stepping away from their walk with the Lord. I saw something spark. And I said what a lot of us say. You know what, I don't want to push them off. I don't want to offend them. I don't want them to run away from church. You know what, after years of that, we can all go back and ask ourselves this question because I've asked myself this question. What did my indifference gain? Where are they now? What voice was there for God to use into their life? See, for us, we got to realize that, that, that to rebuke is not sinful. But to do it with the absence of love or with purpose is where we get prideful when we go off the rails. We're called to call things out in love for the purpose. Listen, these people were false teachers. They were as wrong as they could be. But he says, listen... For the purpose that they may be sound in their faith. He said, look, talk to these people so they will be solid in their faith in Jesus Christ and growing as a Christian. 
Now, verses 15 and 16, I don't, I don't have time to dive into them today, but I want to give you this in case you're reading through Titus and studying through it. Those two verses really need to be read along with Mark 7, 1 through 23, and Matthew 18, 1 through 20. Mark 7, 1 through 23, Matthew 18, 1 through 20. Um, this is Paul teaching on um, and, and making a direct connection with something that Jesus himself taught. Paul writes a lot more about this same subject in Galatians. Um, it, it also really helps to read Galatians when you read those two passages. Um, but but we'll, we'll come back to that at, at another time. Chapter 2 starts out, and chapter 2 introduces five individual identities that we'll get to in just a few minutes. Um, but to help you kind of understand where uh, Paul's coming from as he's been inspired by God, um, I don't know if you've ever done anything like coach youth sports. Um, I've had the privilege of coaching varsity sports all the way down middle school at different ages and then coaching my kids and different stuff. But when you're coaching sports at, at the early ages, um, there's, there's really three primary things that you're trying to get them to do. Um, especially when it comes to basketball and soccer, you are pouring a lot of energy into getting them to go in what we would call the right direction, right? Which, which requires that we listen to the correct voice. I, there have been many times when I have stared five and six-year-olds in the eyes and gone, listen, for this next little period of time, don't listen to your mama or your daddy because I'm the coach. And they're telling you something that's not what I'm telling you. You're hearing a different voice. So they, they're, just, they're just doing stuff that's not part of the game plan. But you're trying to get them to go in the right direction, which is about listening to the right voice. You're also trying to get them to just not quit. Um, I have had goalies lay down in tears and just have fits because they didn't like something. Um, when I coached my middle son, K-5 basketball, K-5 basketball, he's got a teammate this teammate was not what I would call um, in fit, supreme condition. But he was playing basketball. I mean, he's a young kid, right? You assume that at certain ages, you ought to be able to run forever. At K-5 basketball, he gets done with the first period that he's supposed to play in. He's going to come out for a sub. But before he's even trying to come out for a sub, he's trying to walk to his mom in the stands. I'm trying to get him to finish the time. I'm trying to get him to come to the bench. And he finally does. He comes over, you know, you know what the three-finger burn is? When you've run so long, you, you feel like your lungs are actually on fire inside your chest. Right, like if, if, if you're either like nine years old or anywhere over uh, 40, you know exactly what that burn feels like. But over 40, it's just when we try to go get the mail. But he comes over, and he's three fingers into his chest. Coach, coach, I need my Mountain Dew. Mountain Dew? Son, you're K-5. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. What are you drinking at this time of day, right? He says, he goes, he leaves while I'm not paying attention. He goes up, up into the stands. He does come back because I have to yell at him to come back. He comes back with a 20-ounce Mountain Dew and a cheeseburger <laughs> in a wrapper. Who's selling? The concession stand wasn't selling cheeseburgers. Who was selling cheeseburgers at that time in the morning? For the rest of the game and a lot of the season, I was just trying to keep this kid on the court. You may have coached soccer, and if you've ever coached boys' soccer, there's certain ages where you have the fear of boys just running out and, and seeing a little pair of cheeks out there because they're peeing in the woods. I mean, like, there's that in baseball. I mean, it's just stay in the game, finish the game. The, the other thing that you're really, really trying, really, really trying to work on, you're not just trying to get them to, um, to, to listen to the right voice and go in the right direction. You're not just trying to just get them to quit, but you're trying to get them to play the right positions. 
Because it's like this herd ball thing, right, that goes around and everybody's kind of chasing the ball. And you start to try to help them understand if you play these certain positions, everything works better. Well, in the kingdom, there are positions, not rankings, positions. There are things that individually we're called to do at different seasons of life. And because we're different genders and there are things that we're called to do. We're going to get, that, get to that in just a second. But, but first, I want, to, I want you to hear why. I want you to hear why we're even called to consider what we're considering through this series, which is, what, where does my, where's my belief in the gospel, where does it come and meet my behavior choices? What do I know about Jesus, and what does it affect in what I actually do? Um, we're going to skip down into verse 11. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared. There was a moment where God's grace that would overflow from heaven and just goodness all over the earth on, on good people, on bad people, on sinners, on the righteous. Th- there was a moment where everything that was in existence that was just his overflow of grace, all of a sudden it went from just being a flow of grace to there was a direct appearance of it in Jesus Christ in human form. From the Greek word that we translate into appearance in English, um, we get our English word epiphany, this revelation, this moment where it's an aha, I get it, I see it. That's what the life of Jesus started. The grace of Jesus appeared, and when he appeared, we then could see a living clarification of the grace that God wants to pour into our lives. If you wonder, how does God see who I am? How does he see me? How does he see the people in my life? How does he see this situation? How does he see this hurt? Go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the first part of Acts and just read the life of Jesus. You'll see in a living, flesh-out example, here's what God thinks. His grace has appeared. It's there in front of us. It's on the pages. And and not just that it appeared, but it appears for a reason. Listen, that that it has appeared, bringing about salvation. I don't have time to really dive into it, but but even if you've ever wondered, like how how did the Old Testament people before Jesus get into heaven? They were saved by their faith in what God would do. When they died, they were in a place of rest in Sheol, but when Jesus died and came back to life, he brought them out. They were saved in their future faith. So when Jesus completed, he completed their faith. Their salvation was complete. Because Jesus has already died, that's why our soul gets to leave this body and go to God's presence. Directly there. When we read in here, he has... He has come, He has appeared to save us, to bring salvation for all people. It is for everyone. Instructing us to deny godlessness. Some translations say, teaching us to say no. And saying no is not the easiest thing in the world, isn't it? Now, sometimes it is, right? When, when somebody comes up, can I, can I borrow some money? <laughs> no. I, I know you. No. Uh, do you have a minute? No. No. Because you, you want a minute, but you mean three hours. No, I don't have that. Can you help me with something? No, I'm busy. Busy doing what? <laughs> Breathing? Like, you know, just sometimes no is easy, but, but when it comes to what does God want us to say no to, it, it is not so easy all the time. No. It says, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust and to live a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse us for himself, a people for his own possession, eager to do good. I'm going to kind of go two lines at the same time, so I want you to kind of hang with me. 
Number one, Paul is being inspired to, to help Titus see something. He, he, he realizes Titus is getting ready to, to have to work and serve in a culture that's going to be so very difficult. So he knows that Titus, like us, is going to get discouraged. And many times when we're discouraged, we have to figure out what is it I'm supposed to focus my attention on to get out of this discouragement. Um, when, when we look at something that won't change, what do we fix our eyes on that will give us hope? So he's trying to help, he's trying to help Titus with that, but he's also explaining, he's also explaining some depth of why Jesus appeared, why salvation. Please hear this because it, it, it may very well not be what you assume. He says this to him first. First, look up. He says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said, look, Titus, you are going to work every day in what's going to seem like absolute hell. And it's going to be miserable all around you. But for the people that you're ministering to and the gospel that you carry, it is a perfect message, as Titus calls it, that your message is perfect. It's, a, it's beyond reproach. He says, when you take that message into people's lives, you're not just trying to fix lives here. You are literally loading people up for eternity. Because when we get to eternity, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, all the things that we chase and we think are fun now that the Bible says that are sins, eternity is absent, is void of sin. So everything that we give into now won't exist as a possibility in a perfect eternity. So how good really must it be? Because if only goodness is there and that stuff is absent, it starts to put it into perspective of what a real pursuit really is. He says, look, look up. There will be a day where when all this stuff will be reclaimed for God on this earth. And you'll be able to walk these same paths, Titus, and you'll see saved people, and you'll see saints, and you'll see Jesus. Keep looking up, because up is above the mess of life. And even though in our culture our life is so comfortable that we don't really think of heaven a lot, heaven is better, greater than we could ever imagine. But we also got to think about how do we see heaven? What are we really thinking about? Have you ever just thought, hey, heaven's going to have no sin? No, what, we, what do we think? Hey, heaven will have no pain, no tears, no deformities. We think none of that stuff. We, 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 we do a list of what we don't like. But you, have you ever noticed that we often don't put sin on that list? I heard a pastor ask this question one time. He says, can someone truly, deeply fall in love with God but still not hate sin? You realize God hates sin? I've lived a whole lot of my Christian life not hating some sins because I chose to do them. And I went to them for pleasure. And we pursue that with passion. But God hates sin. One of the stages of growth in our Christian life is not that we don't like what we think the gross sins are or the sins that are offending us. But when we get to the point where we just despise sin so much because it's what God hates, and, and we, what, is, what is spiritual growth? We begin to think like God. We begin to talk like Jesus. We begin to see the world the way He sees it. So the closer we grow to Him, then inherently we must grow to a place where we really despise sin, not the person committing it. We just don't want it as a part of our lives. We don't often look at heaven as a, as, a, as a direction to look to to go, wow, it's going to just get less and less sinful. In fact, we're going to arrive there and there's going to be none there waiting on us. It's a little bit of a different perspective. He says, look up. But then he also says this, to look back. He says, he gave himself for us to redeem us. 
there was a there was a friend of mine one time, and he's a pastor. So what he said sounded very uh, preacher-ish. That's kind of a language that some pastors speak. If you've ever heard some pastors, and just everything they say sounds like a sermon. Like you run into them at a grocery store. You know, hey, pastor, how are you doing? Well, uh, I'm doing fine. <laughs> You're like, are you preaching to me right now? Like, what's going on here, right? So, it, like, there's certain things that sound preachers. So, this friend of mine, and he, he openly will, will talk about um, a struggle he had at one point in his life with lust, uh, especially for women, um, looking at pornography, those kind of things. And, and we, we talked about all the tricks of the trade, all the, all the recommendations, all the things you try and do and distance yourself from, and all these things you attend. You know, how do you get away from temptation? And, and he said this. He said, you know what? He said, I, I never really changed my view on that until... He said, I started really realizing two things. Number one, that the Holy Spirit is a person and that person is with me in the middle of that. And he said, two, he said, I had to start thinking about what, what did Jesus go through to pay for what I'm doing? How difficult must that have been? How, how much does that show God's hatred for this? And he said, I finally got disgusted with this thing because of how God saw it. And he said, then and only then, I actually started distancing myself from that. And I thought, and when he first said it, I thought, man, that sounds exactly like what a preacher would say. And then I stopped for a little longer and I went, man, that, that's, that's truth. Because what have I done in my life when I've struggled with sin? I don't think about how God hates it. I choose to think about how God loves me. And it, it, it totally, totally transforms that thought process. So we need to look back. We need to look at the Jesus. We need to look at what he did to get the joy of who we are and how much he loves us. But then he says this, look straight ahead. He tells him that he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Yes, he wants us eager to live for him, but, but please don't miss this. I don't know if there's a thing that you have that you just like to look at. Maybe it's a trophy that you've won, a plaque that hangs in your office. Maybe it's something that you've invested in, some, some kind of old thing that you've bought that's a classic or an antique, just something you really, really love. Maybe it's your house. Maybe it's the way you have your yard. And sometimes you just look at it because it's yours, and you just enjoy the sight of it because you've, you, you've gotten it clean, and you've done work to it, and you just you like it. Maybe it's just a small project you've done around your house. For me, a lot of times um, at, at night as I'm going to bed or as I wake up and I'm praying about stuff, sometimes I'll walk into the bedroom of my three kids because if you've ever been a parent, you realize even as your kids go, grow older um, and, and when you look at their face while they're asleep, there's still that little bit of baby in that face. You know what I'm talking about? And, and some nights I'm just in there praying and some nights I just kind of laugh because I thought as I'm standing over their bed, it would be really funny if they woke up and got scared right now because I'm just standing there like just, you know, looking at them. I'm not, I'm not that nice of a father, but... But, but, but when I look at them in that moment, they're in bed, they've gotten cleaned up, they're asleep, they're peaceful, their day has washed off of them, YouTube has washed off of them, devices have washed away, and, and, and they just, they're so clean, and, and I look at them, and, and the only reason I'm doing it, honestly, is because they're mine. Because I would be in prison if I was in somebody else's house. They're They're mine, right? <laughs> They're, they're my babies, and I look at them because I just love them. Do, do you realize that this, this salvation process, this cleaning of us up, we assume, well, God's doing this because he's just going to put me on blast to the world, and I'm going to be famous, I'm going to be used greatly for him. Okay, you may be, one of us may be, all of us may be. I, I don't know that answer, but I can tell you this beyond any certainty based on what the Word of God just says. He wants to do work in your life just because he wants to get you clean and then turn you around and look directly at you and say, you are mine. 
you think he's doing all this work because he wants to show you off to the world? He's doing all this work because he wants to look at you himself. Because that's his great love for us. And when we think that way, when we see Jesus that way, if you're like me, all of a sudden inside, I, I realize there's something that just woke up inside me. And I wanna, I'm eager now. I want to do something for him. Not to earn his love, but because of his love. So now he gets um, back to these, well, not he doesn't, but, but, but we are, back to these, these five individuals. And I want to I go through this, and, and, and please listen through this area because you'll find yourself in one of these four because this is an um, older, younger description. Um, this doesn't just have to do with physical age because this church hadn't been around but for so long. There weren't so many people um, that, that were at an, at an older age and called older Christians. Um, some of the people in this church, just like any church, would, would be considered older, more mature, no matter what their age are. They may be very young. But, but this particular reference here takes in spiritual growth and also considers some life experience. So listen to this as we read through it. But you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. Remember, it came out of in chapter 1, false teaching. Now we're sound teaching. This is the good things. This is what we should do. Sound teaching. Older men are to be self-controlled, worthy of respect, sensible, and sound in faith, love, and endurance. Now all these things in here are great. Older men need to be disciplined, self-controlled. They don't give in to the, the, the vices and the things that they used to give in to. They, they, they make sound decisions, faithful decisions, right? They show faithfulness in their life. They're, they're married for longer. They're faithful longer. They're, they're, they're living the right way. We need men to not just do that privately, but to do that publicly. They're worthy of respect, not because they're just good people, but because the evidence of Jesus that they show in their lives. But the one I really want to point out to you is this. It says, and endurance. Our culture, and, and their culture did the same kind of thing. Our culture anchors itself many times to us organizing our lives and building our lives to the point where we say, okay, now at this really great stage, we can now really live more comfortably. We can take the time. I can vacation three weekends out of the month. I can do all those things. The Bible is calling mature Christian men to not live life to the point of earning your relaxation. I'm all for rest. We need to be restored in our faith and in our walk with Christ. We need to be refreshed because life physically takes a toll on us. But we are not called men at any point in life to say, you know what, I'm checking out of my faith. Caleb and Joshua in the Old Testament, they were, they were the only two people, two out of 12, that came back when they scouted out the land God promised them. They came back and were like, it looks phenomenal. Let's go, it's ours. Everybody else said no, and they gave in to fear. The people's fear won the day. And those two people were the only two left when the new generation walked forward. They saw millions of people die and buried. They're the only two left. As they cross over into the promised land, Caleb looks up at a mountain. It is full of people that are warriors, large warriors. Caleb is in his mid-80s. I just went to Guatemala on a missions trip um, last uh, November. And we, we hiked a volcano. I thought my body the core of me was going to explode like that volcano. I was like, my lungs are not going to survive this. I had people all ages, older than me, younger than me, literally pointing and laughing. I saw them. I could hear them. They thought that I had passed out, but I wasn't out of totally. I could hear what was being said. Caleb, in mid-80s, looks up the mountain at the people and said, he quotes his age. He's like, in my mid-80s, feel great. That one's mine. 
we need some old men, some mature men, guys, to hang in, to keep going, not for just your sake, but for the kingdom's, to be faithful, to instill it into some younger men. Then it says this. It's going to come back to younger men in a second, but it says in the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not slaves to excessive drinking. They are to teach what is good so that they may encourage the younger women to love their husbands and love their children, to be self-controlled, pure, workers at home, kind, and in submission to their husbands so that God's word will not be slandered. Now listen, the Bible, the Bible, God's word is not here to force and scream out gender roles. You can go through the New Testament, you can go through the Old Testament. One of the most famous passages about a mature woman in the Old Testament, Proverbs 31, it compliments her for being a good businesswoman. Okay? The Bible doesn't force women into the home. The Bible does say this, though. Well, let me, let me stop there for a second. Um, I am like many men. Ladies, if you've ever been connected to some man in your life, you've probably had this thought, and you may have said this. I don't want to have to tell you I want you to know. Spoiler alert, we never know. It's sin's fault. It's not ours. It's all sin's fault, okay? I didn't have a, a father in the home when I was growing up. I had my mom. I had my older sister. I counsel couples, men, women. Um, I have to read a lot. I have to ask my wife a lot about help me understand a woman's perspective. I see it from mine many times. And I was reading something not long ago that, that says this, and I think it said it beautifully. And, and ladies, I don't... Uh, I, you can email me if you, I'd like to know if you really find this true. This author said there's this amazing thing inside women that um, you both have the imprint of the garden and perfection and what can be inside of you, but then you also have the reality of brokenness that you experience. And many times you live in a place of often frustration or feeling like you have to make a trade-off between one thing and the next. Oftentimes you can't just be at peace with the thing that you have your hands in. And God's word isn't trying to push you in one direction. It's, it's trying to say, realize you have an opportunity to be faithful where you are. Invest at home. Don't feel like you're trading home off if you need to go to work. Don't feel like when you're at work you can't leave and go home. Invest where you are and rejoice and be satisfied and content that you are faithful. And God will bless that. It also starts with something interesting in this. And it talks about behavior. Not slanders, um, reverent behavior, not excessive drinking. To teach what is good. Ladies and, and guys, we're the same way. Our culture is, all, is driving us all to the age bracket of 18 to 25. It's trying to convince all of us that we need to figure out a way to live in that bracket. Let's all stop. There's a lot of us who don't need to go back to that bracket. I don't. It's okay to not be that age anymore. It's okay to have some wisdom. It's okay to live quietly and patiently and, and humbly. It's okay. God gets a lot of pleasure out of that. You don't have to keep up. We can find peace there. Then he says this, that you're supposed to teach 
young women all these things to love their husband, to do all this stuff. Again, submission. Remember, please remember, marriage is a beautiful dance that represents the gospel. The gospel is about Jesus and us. Marriage is a husband and wife. Somebody's got to play one of the two parts. Women, you have the blessing of playing the part that you get to trust and have that worked out in your life so it will match what you trust, who you trust in Jesus. Men, we are challenged to sacrifice, to set aside, to be there, and to love endlessly. We each have our opportunities to reflect the gospel. I heard a pastor's wife say it this way one time. She said, here's how I've, I've functionally tried to work out this thing of how do I submit. She said, when we have a, a major decision in life, and, and sometimes my, my, me and my husband disagree, she said, he gets one vote, I get one vote. If we disagree, we go back to prayer, we come back. If we still disagree, he gets a vote, I get a vote. She said, I smile, kind of smirk, and look at him and say, you get the last vote, but you get all the responsibility. How we work our lives out in a gospel way when we're in relationship with a spouse is supposed to reflect Jesus, not just compliment ourselves. And then it says this, slaves, almost 80% of the Mediterranean church were in some form of slavery. Now, we, we talked a while back about what slavery was in this Bible context compared to what we know in histori- history in the United States as colonial slavery. Not the same thing. Not the same thing at all. But consider the people that were in these positions, that they lived under the authority of somebody. Slaves are to submit to their masters and everything and to be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness so that they may adorn the teaching of God our Savior in everything. In other words, when we live under somebody's authority, we're supposed to live in a way when they look at us, they go, you know what? I wish I had more of you. And then they're woken up to this understanding. It's not a multiplication of me that they want. It's they want the Jesus that I'm living for. Because they'll see the evidence of what's not Jesus all around them, but they'll want more of that. When we live our lives, and Titus was in the middle of a mess. I mean, he, it says in here at the end of chapter 2, the last verse, proclaim these things, encourage and rebuke. Again, there's always a purpose when we, when we confront someone. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Paul said, listen, people will fight this message. He said, don't let them ignore you. Keep going back to them. And as long as we gather together under God's word as a group of people, And we'll grow and we'll shrink. You know why? Because the gospel divides. The Holy Spirit unites us, but the gospel divides. When somebody has to make a choice, yes for Jesus, no for Jesus, once they make that choice, they'll either stay or they'll go. I'm not being mean. I'm not not mad at that. I'm only accountable for me. My job is not to tell you you're saved. My job is just to talk to you like you are. Because I have to look at myself and hold myself accountable for everything in this word and anything that I preach. And it's hard. And I will, I will cry. The reason why tears will be wiped away in heaven is because I'll have my fair share of them. Because I'll, I'll see my own reflection as a hypocrite in front of God, I know. But when we live our life, there'll be many indicators of health and then there'll be indicators that we measure and they really won't mean anything. What it all comes down to is is are we ready to embrace a position that we have in the kingdom of God? Are we willing to say, you know what, God? I'm, I'm my age, and I've grown through what you've allowed me to grow through, so show me in my schedule what I need to set aside so I can pour into somebody. Give me somebody. 
Are we willing to say, God, I, I don't have this all figured out and, 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 and I'm young and married and everything seems good. You know what happens in, in the young part of marriage? Everything is so physically fresh that we ride over the real problems. But stop to say, you know what, I don't, just because it seems good, I don't want to assume it's always going to be good. I want to know what real good is and open up my life and talk to somebody. Share my life with them. Grow spiritually. Connect with each other. We're willing to realize that we, we have a position to play. I'm not going to be worried about somebody else so much. I'm, I'm going to stick in mine so this whole kingdom works well. Or we're going to listen to the right voice. We're going to go the right direction. We're going to hear God's voice and obey and respond. And we're going to stay in. We're going to stick in. We're going to finish. We're going to climb the bleachers of life and grab a cheeseburger and a Mountain Dew and just decide I've done enough. I don't believe we will. Not here, not us. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a second? Um, we're going to pray and we're going to um, be doing an offering and in our service in just a second. Um, I hope the Word of God has encouraged you this morning. Um, I hope you've listened. I hope you've heard. Because the story that, that's going on, it's just eerie how similar, isn't it? It's eerie how similar this, this church in, in Titus, this place full of Cretans, um, literally Cretans. It's just eerie how similar it sounds to what we go through in our lives. And it just makes me look up to God, just like he told Titus, look up, look back, look straight ahead. When I look up, I go, God, you're right. Your word is alive. It was working 2,000 years ago in this church, and it sounds like me now. I look up and get that joy. I look back, and I see that I am redeemed because of what Jesus did. If you don't look back and connect the dots of what Jesus has done for you and where you stand with God, then I want to talk to you. I want, I want us to pray together. I want us to read Scripture together. If you know that today is your day to, to meet Jesus, to call out to Him. I got a friend of mine. His testimony is his, his prayer. His prayer was one word to Jesus when he got saved. He said, I just said, help. Because he said, I finally realized I, I just was trying to be a good person, but it was everything Jesus had done that was there to save me. If you pray on your own today, I ask it all the time. At least fill out one of our cards and just check. I became a Christian today. We will pray for you. We will, we, will, we will send you some information. We will ask and make ourselves available to meet with you, to encourage you and help you walk with Christ. Because it's, it's community. It's what we do together. But if you don't know that's you today, let's settle that today after this service. You can settle that now where you sit. And ultimately, as you look straight ahead, there's a reason why God wants to clean up. He's a, there's a reason why He sets out things for you to do. There, there's a reason for it all. So as you look straight ahead, take joy in that it's because Jesus has redeemed you. And He doesn't want to exhaust you. He doesn't want to compare you to anybody else. He wants to do something in you. So first, first, He can turn you around face to face and just take joy in who you are. And we get to just look at that face, that smile, and reflect it. You ever, you ever love somebody so much that when their face lights up with a smile, yours does without even thinking about it? That's reflecting the joy of Jesus in our relationship with Him. I'm going to pray. And in these moments, I just want you to just take note of what God has spoken to you about today. Lord, thank you. 
God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us the grace of your word. Thank you for calling us your own. As we live our lives, Lord, help us to be obedient to you. Help us to know you more. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.